Together we can mobilize a global mission force to finish the task. This is your tribe. Welcome, brothers and sisters around the world. This is uh, your tribe, uh, the program hosted by uh, Global Mobilization Network. My name is Ray Peng, and today we have our special guest, Mr. Lindsey Brown, my big brother, uh, a big um, heart for the nations, and also known as uh, the chairman for Lausanne, and also uh, uh, general secretary uh, of IFES for many, many years. So uh, when you look at his resume, his, the, the history of uh, his, uh, his service uh, in, in terms of student ministry and mission movements and the fingerprints is everywhere. But uh, just let us welcome you. Uh, Lindsay, can you just um, spend a few minutes and just uh, say hi to our audience and also, uh, yeah, just in general, uh, letting us know that uh, who you are. Hi, Ray. Well, I'm delighted to be um, invited to be on this program. Uh, as you may understand, as soon as I open my voice, I am not American and I'm not no. English. I am from Wales. We have our own distinctive accent. Uh, only three million people. So some people say that God must love the Welsh very much because we must be very precious because he didn't make many of us. <laughs> but uh, we want to make our contribution like yourselves to the advance of the gospel uh, around mm -hmm. the world. I was very privileged in growing up in that I was raised by my grandmother, who was a God-fearing woman from the age of seven, seven years when my grandfather died. My parents put me to live with my grandmother oh. to provide um, companionship for her. I think the idea was that I would just be with her for a few months, but actually I lived for 13 years with her oh. until I went to university. And that was the most profound impact on my life because she sent me to a Sunday school in a local Baptist church um, in a kind of tough or a rough area. There were no churches there. Mm. And it was through that Sunday school that I came under the influence of the gospel mm. and became uh, a believer uh, through the youth group there, a very good youth leader. Um, I began to have some understanding of um, the needs of the church worldwide, even as a teenager. We lived in a very, um, in a steel and coal mining town, which uh, um, was in a valley, so a nar narrow environment where people didn't tend to leave very much. But this one leader got us to pray for the suffering church um, every Friday. And even as teenagers, we used to fast at lunchtimes on Friday oh. and do jobs for people cutting grass and so on and send the money to support believers who were persecuted or in mm. tough situations. So that was a significant influence on my life from a very early uh, stage. And then when I went to university subsequently um, in Oxford, there was a hostel for international students. And even though it, because it was in England, they said to me, well, you're a foreign student, then you come from Wales, so you can live there. <laughs> <laughs> and there were 55 of us from all over the world, from mm. Korea, um, from uh, Singapore, 
uh, from Nepal. Remember the chief forester was there, some Brazilians, Venezuelans. Mm. And this was the first time I'd lived in an international community. Every breakfast time, I met somebody from a different part of the world. It was wonderful. And um, after graduation, I spent a year with Operation Mobilization, traveling around Africa, which gave me more exposure to the global church. And so those were some of the key influences that set me on that trajectory before I eventually came in, became involved in student work, which is what God has had me do for the last 44 years. Wow. So you have been involved with uh, a lot of international uh, networks and movements, uh, including the student ministries and also Lausanne and beyond, of course. Uh, so, but, but you always talk about the beginning of it, which is the Logos, uh, the very first one back in the 70s. Yeah. 76, you just mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. and which is the year I was born. And, and how time flies <laughs> and and actually they have make a it was a good good it's a good year for both of us then <laughs> i made a a, a profound uh, impact of course uh through you and to my life as well uh back in the early uh, 2000 um because of you coming to taiwan and and was the keynote speaker for youth missions conference and you introduced me to uh, a bigger, much bigger uh, world, um, a world of missions. Um, but how was that uh, specific year uh, traveling uh, overseas and make such a big impact? And do you encourage uh, young people, especially today, uh, to still do the same? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is that um, one of the great uh, shifts in the last 50 years in the world of mission has been the contribution of so-called short-term programs. Mm-hmm. There's a, some element of controversy there because mm-hmm. longer-term missionaries, some of them have argued that um, short-term missionaries require a lot of input. They don't really learn the language or adjust to the culture very well. Uh, they're in and out. Yeah. and It doesn't have the advantages of a long-term engagement with people. On the flip side, though, and I benefited in this way, is that it gives you an opportunity to dip your toe into the water and get a taste of cross-cultural experience, uh, usually in an environment where there's reasonable um, supervision. And that was my experience. I often refer to my one year with OM on the Logos ship traveling around Africa We, uh, as my fourth year of university. I had three years studying uh, European history in uh, in Oxford, but I felt the need to uh, be involved in something practical. I had met George Verwe, the international director of OM, when he came to speak at the Christian student group uh, in Oxford, which I was leading at the time. Um, and I was immensely impressed by his zeal and his passion for the advance of the gospel. And um, he encouraged me to come and join OM, at least for a year. And I went on the ship because I had some African friends in university and had a particular affection for Africa. Mm. The ship was going around Africa, and I thought it would give me an opportunity to be exposed to the African uh, continent. And I wanted to work in practical ministry. I didn't know what my gifts were either. So it gave me an opportunity to test out where my main gifts were. 
And it was interesting. I mean, as a student in Oxford, I had the privilege of meeting many well-known Christian leaders. And there was a great preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably the greatest preacher I've heard, a Welsh preacher. And um, when he heard, he came to speak in my town just before I left to join the Logos ship and asked if if he could see me. He wasn't very keen on short-term mission programs um, himself. He had a very high view of the role of the local church. Mm. And he said to me, um, I've heard you're going with this organization, Operation Mobilization. Um, not too keen on organizations like this. It can explain why you're doing it. I said, well, doctor, um, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I've been leading a youth group in my church. I've been leading a student group in Oxford, which had several hundred students involved. But I want to test out what my gifts are. And I think that if I go with OM, uh, I'll have an opportunity um, to engage in lots of different acts of service, including preaching, distribution of literature, and so many other things. And my hope is that through that year, I'll have a clearer sense of my particular gifts. He said, very well, go. And I'd like to see you in a year's time. Tell me what you discovered. And actually, that's what happened. There were sometimes I had so many encouragements and offers to go and speak at meetings organized by OM. I almost hid away in my room because they were coming to ask me to do so much. But it was a good thing for a young man to do because it helped me to test out what I was good at and what I was not good at. Mm. It gave me an appetite for literature ministry, for example, because... Books were so highly valued in Africa, more than they were in the European context. Mm. It introduced me to half nights of prayer, introduced me to praying for and having a concern for places like Mongolia and Albania, mm. where there were only three, three to five known Christians at the time in mm. the late 70s. There's large churches, large number of churches in both countries now. Um, it introduced me to the book Operation World, the writer of it, Patrick Johnson, came to speak on the ship at the mm. time, introduced me to missionaries working in the Muslim world who came to give for short-term visits to speak about their work. So there was so much I was introduced to, I might not have been introduced to uh, otherwise. I visited and spoke at events in 18 African countries, and it just opened the world, my eyes uh, to the world. As Jesus said, Lift up your eyes and see. And that's what happened to me on that year. And so for me, I'd have to say, was my fourth year in university. It was a rich experience. And it's no bad thing for many young people to be engaged in these kind of um, programs. I think all the surveys done in recent years also indicate that perhaps over 90% of the longer-term missionaries around the world in the last 20, 30 years, spent some time first in short-term programs. It gave them a taste. The other thing, more negatively, is that what mission agencies don't often talk about is the drop-off rate amongst people who go for periods of four years or longer, straight off, they experience significant culture shock, and they don't return for a second or a third period of service. So a lot of investment and resources are wasted um, because people give up after four or eight years. 
one of the things with the short-term programs is it gives you a realist and perhaps a more realistic mm-hmm. insight into the challenges of working longer term and can help save you from going into some culture, cross-cultural contexts for which you may not be best suited. And so I, I think that short-term programs have that kind of benefit potentially too. But for me, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, I'm talking about uh, spiritual gifts, um, I think it's not just a discovery of yourself, but also appreciation from so many people from other contexts. They can also contribute to so-called the kingdom work. So I was I was so impressed when I was serving on uh, um, 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 Dulos. Um, I just realized, you know, my my worldview is so so narrow that my um, you know, I always had stereotyped towards certain um, people groups. So some people, you know, like Germans, they are always this. Filipinos, Filipinas, uh, like this. Africans are this. And so it's just so many, you know, so many breakthroughs in, in my personal uh, uh, worldview and perspectives. But in, in terms of student uh, work uh, worldwide and, and later on in your journey and your career and as a servant of the Lord, and what, what do you see globally and how, how can we uh, actually appreciate that and also uh, to see God works in so many different contexts? Mm. Well, first, Ray, I had the same experience as you uh, on the logo ship. In fact, um, they, they had, uh, for the younger guys on the ship, they put 16 of us to sleep in, in, um, in one room. <laughs> I, yeah, no. And I was sharing a bunk with a guy from, uh, from Singapore. And mm-hmm. on the next bunk were folks from, um, uh, from Malaysia and mm-hmm. uh, some other Asian countries, as well as there were Africans sleeping in the room as well. And I can't remember all the nationalities, mm-hmm. but that was a, that was a crash course in learning to relate to believers from other parts of the world. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was enriching. And like you, I came to respect that God, uh, God's intention and desire is to work through people from all cultures yeah. in their contribution to the advance um, of the gospel. Um, while I was on the ship, I was invited to return to the UK to work amongst students i'd already been invited to do so Mm. before i joined the logos i was asked to be a student worker in the universities of oxford and cambridge but turned it down because i thought i wanted to be with ordinary people i was tired of the arrogance of some folks in university and it proved to be the right decision but they invited me back anyway to work in my home country in wales which i was more attracted to than working in oxford or cambridge felt I understood my own people uh, better. I didn't realize it would lead to a lifetime of ministry in the student world, uh, 44 years now of Ah. continuous service. But I came to realize that student ministry is strategically vital for the global church for a number of reasons. You know, Martin Luther in 1523, the architect and the God of the Reformation said, if you want to change the world, start with the university. And now that he said that when there were much fewer universities around uh, in Europe uh, or anywhere else in the world for that matter. And I think it's certainly the case today. If you look at 
the 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 great Lausanne Congress is in '74, um, organized by Billy Graham at '89, and then the recent one in 2010. It's interesting to see how many people who attended those congresses. They were usually mission leaders and church leaders from around the world. And the first one in 1974, somebody said to Billy Graham, um, at this Congress in Lausanne on world evangelization, so many of the people here seem to have a background in student ministry. Um, uh, how did you choose them? And Billy Graham said, I didn't. We organized national selection committees and asked them to choose some of the most gifted workers in their country or elsewhere. And it was the national leadership selection groups who selected these people. And he said, it just goes to show how strategically important and shaping the experience of student life and student workers, student work is in terms of global evangelization. That doesn't downplay the work of people who work in other spheres of life like child evangelism fellowship or, or whatever. Um, but it does highlight that student work is strategic, I would say for at least three, three reasons. The first is that um, the majority of people uh, in every culture of the world, uh, we know that at least 80% of the believers were converted under the age of 25. Uh, that doesn't mean that people are not, there's no chance for people who are older but we're making life decisions uh, under that age. And so it's strategically the time to reach people when they're thinking about their direction life. Secondly, student work is important because as I touched on earlier, often it leads to the formation of people who will go on to positions of leadership, not only in mission agencies, but in local churches and not just as pastors or preachers, but as elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers and so much else. So many young people who are students are shaped, who go on then to serve in churches globally thereafter. And thirdly, student ministry is important because it's at that time when people are shaped in their thinking about how biblical truth touches on the workplace, uh, their profession and their life's vocation. If we were to be able to begin to obey Jesus' commission and to go, to go into all the world, to proclaim the gospel. When Jesus was talking about going into all the world there, I don't think he only means into all the world geographically. Yeah. I think yeah. he also means going into every sphere of human life and existence, um, including the workplace where we spend 90% of our, uh, our time, as it were. And so being equipped in university can help prepare you for how to apply biblical truth in the workplace so that we don't make the mistake that some do of separating what we do on Sunday from what happens from Monday to Saturday. Um, but see that, uh, see the importance of integrating our faith uh, in the workplace or wherever God has placed us. So for all those reasons, I think student ministry is vital, but it's not the only thing that matters because God raises up people to reach, uh, his purpose is to reach, as the Lausanne movement said in the Cape Town commitment, uh, famously, uh, the calling that God has given to us is to take the gospel and bear witness 
to Jesus Christ and all his teaching in every area of the world geographically, but also in every sphere of life, including the realm of ideas. I think you're answering the, the, the questions I was about to ask. Uh, because on one hand, um, cross-cultural missions, and we just talk about short-term exposure and get to know uh get to know the world uh, from a very different perspective and, and send people uh, from, from your own context to, to overseas and to, to really have the taste of how big the world is and, and for God so love the world. But also at the same time, you talk about student ministries and the importance of it. But sometimes there is some kind of tension in between, especially student ministries are very much focused um, on your own context uh you know the the college students and the majority of them are 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 going into the workplace in in your own country your own city um uh, so so for student workers many times uh it's 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 a struggle for them to to really uh nurture uh the the next generation you know you know, which will be the very best for them. Uh, so, so can you elaborate a little bit more on, on that uh, subject, especially for, um, yeah, for, for, for those, uh, because this is a mission uh, mobilization network. I, I want to hear more about your takeaway uh, from that perspective. Well, let me just say a couple of things. One of the developments in the last 30 years has been the astonishing rise in the number of international students studying in our universities. Okay. And um, if we're to reach everybody, we have a golden opportunity of reaching the world while we're students by befriending students from other parts of the world. It's very interesting if you read the Acts of the Apostles, if you can talk of God's strategy from Acts onwards, it seems to be twofold. The one dimension is that God sends people across the cultural boundaries and take the gospel to a people other than their own. The other is that sometimes God, even from the Acts of the Apostles onwards, takes people from their culture to go and spend time living in another culture where they hear the gospel for the first time. Let yeah. me ask you a question. Look at the Acts of the Apostles, read through the Acts, and ask yourself to name, if you can name how many people became Christians clearly in their own culture. Very few is the answer. No. Yeah. Timothy, <laughs> Timothy, and you're struggling much beyond Timothy and a few others. Even from the day of Pentecost, one of the elements there, which is not taught very often, is that all those people who heard the gospel and responded at Pentecost we're away from their home cultures. There are yes. 17, 17 different people or language groups mentioned in Acts 2, and they were all away from home when mm. they heard the message. The Ethiopian eunuch was away from home when he heard the message. Um, the Apostle Paul was away from his culture when he heard mm. the gospel and responded mm. to it. Um, Lydia in Philippi was from Thyatira. She was a foreigner in, in Philippi when she heard the gospel and responded to it, probably as was the Roman, uh, the jailer, who was away from his culture 
preparing for Paul and so many other cases like that. So what that highlights to us is that many people are more open to the gospel when they are away from their home culture. When that relates to ministry amongst migrants, in Europe, we are seeing many, many Iranians and Afghans becoming believers. Just last week, we heard horrific stories about the numbers of people at the European Lausanne gathering who were being converted and going on to serve Christ from those cultures while they're living in Europe as migrants. The Iranian church has grown from about 20 small churches in Iran in 79 during the Iranian revolution these days to over a million believers. Many of them are in Europe and the West where they heard the gospel. Now some are going back into Turkey and Afghanistan as missionaries and reaching people there. I just talked with a student from Austria and he said we just had a, a, a baptismal service in our church last Sunday. We baptized 25 people. I said, great. Who were they? He said, you'll never believe this, Lindsay. All 25 were Afghans who came to live as refugees in Austria. They were impressed by the kindness of the church. One believed, and they, they just followed like dominoes knocking down because um, people are so relational in that culture. They shared the gospel um, with, uh, with their friends and their neighbors and uh, their relatives. So I think, first of all, it's important to understand that in our generation today, with the movements of people, which is going to become one of the defining missiological and sociological trends in our, in our world in the decades to come, it's going to accelerate because of climate change and economic problems. We're going to have more migrations of peoples and it presents us with many uh, difficult problems for the governments mm. trying to care for their own indigenous people. But on the mm. other hand, it is and will increasingly provide us with great opportunities to reach the unreached mm. by working uh, with the diaspora uh, in that context. So um, it would seem strange then to say that in the student world, you'll only concentrate on your own people from your own culture um, when so many people are coming from other parts of the world to study uh, amongst us. The second thing is that in the student world, um, in those few years when people are undergraduates, it is really enriching as it was in my experience to meet people from other parts of the world. I used to take friends home at Christmas and Easter. I remember one became an ambassador from Korea. Another was the chief forester of Nepal. A third was a cancer specialist from Japan. All came and stayed in my home. <laughs> and um, they also, they stayed up late talking with my father. And mm. it was one of the factors which led to my father becoming a Christian. He said to me wow. one morning, um, Lynn, you know what amazes me about these people you bring home to us? Now, this is a coal mining town where nobody traveled. Huh. So my father wasn't a traveler. He said, what amazes me about these people is they come from other parts of the world, like Japan and Korea and so on. And he said, they all believe the same thing you do. How is it possible? And actually, he asked them questions he didn't ask me because he wasn't threatened by what they had to say. So it rebounded on me and it enriched my own experience and my family's experience by having friends 
some of whom I retain contact with from other parts of the world. So we shouldn't just think any more about student work being in isolation from the world of mission because of internationals crossing borders to study who go on to serve with distinction in their own countries. I know many people, we don't have time for this interview to go through a list of them, but who went on to serve with distinction as political leaders. I served with three prime ministers or presidents I was a student with in university. Some of them came to Bible studies that we had. And I think of the impact they could potentially have for good or ill if they receive, if they embrace the gospel and if their lives are subsequently shaped by it. The other thing about student work, of course, is that as in my own case, it was a great um, learning ground for what was happening in the wider world as we had speakers coming and many significant mission leaders pioneers, evangelists, Bible teachers, theologians have historically become Christians while undergraduates in university and gone on to serve the Lord with distinction subsequently in the ends of the earth. I, just last story, I went to Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, a few years ago, and I stayed uh, in the home of a Wycliffe Bible translator, and I said to him, uh, um, where did you study? He said, he said, I studied in in Wales, where you come from, Swansea. And um, he said that was the first time I heard about the need for Bible translators. And as a, as a result of what I heard as an 18-year-old, I came to Congo. And he said, I've been here for 40 years translating the Bible. <laughs> but it all happened as I was mobilized as an undergraduate. So it provides great opportunities. Wonderful. And lastly, uh, I, I really want to ask you about your, um, um, your, your conversation with, with many, especially uh, others coming from the majority world <laughs> uh, regarding um, uh, so-called the West and the rest. For the last hundred years, I think uh, the world had changed uh, a lot, um, not just the shift of the gravity of Christianity, but also uh, social media, but also communication, uh, different devices and AI nowadays. And we are talking about meta universe, metaverse. Um, so what, what, what do you see, uh, you know, the difference would it take? Uh, the gospel is still the gospel, but uh, the way we proclaim the gospel, the way we um, communicate with people uh, about our faith, will there be any difference? Or uh, what do you see that? Well, I think there are some things which, which, which never change because we are human. Mm -hmm. So uh, and there are some things which will change because of events in recent decades and mm -hmm. um, inventions that are, are still uh, in the pipeline, which you hinted at. Things which never change are that individual human beings and personal testimony are important. Human beings are not made to be isolated. Remember that in Genesis, we are, we are told it's not good for man to be alone. Actually, the text doesn't say it's not good for man to be single or unmarried. Yeah. 
God gave Adam Eve, but it's not good for us to be alone. So even if we're not married, to be in a community where there are people who love us and care for us, are interested uh, in us, both male and female, single and married, that's important. And that's why the church is important and has a significant role as an alternative community in winning people for Christ. So we must never play that down because however valuable technology uh, is, uh, um, it cannot supersede the importance of personal connection where we rub shoulders with people. So the, the role of the local church and of individual testimony and of Christian community yeah. will never go away. All those things are important. We should not play them down. So I would be very wary of people who say, I can just go to church on the internet now. I don't need to have any engagement in Christian community any, any, anymore. I think that's uh, an unbiblical uh, view. We need to be involved in people with people, not just to receive for ourselves, but that so we can serve and come alongside and exercise compassion and uh, concern for people. I remember giving a New Testament to four Chinese students in a conference in Portugal many years ago. These students had come from China. They'd, they'd never read the Bible. They'd been in the country for eight months and uh, Christians had been very kind to them. And they'd asked me to give them these New Testaments at the Easter conference. They'd arrived eight months earlier. So I said to the four Chinese students, before you receive this New Testament now, uh, I want to ask you, what do you think the Christian faith is all about before you read the New Testament? Just from what you've observed. And they said, we think we've, we've seen four things already. Um, first of all, um, we've heard that Christians believe that the that Jesus is God come in human form. We want to check out in the text whether it's true. Secondly, Christians tell us that they want to check out if that applies to us. Thirdly, we've observed these Christians. They're ordinary people just like us. But fourthly, we want to read this Bible. We want to find out if these things are true because these Christians have loved us more than anybody else since we came into the country. They've been kind to us, compassionate. They've helped us. They've welcomed us. That is why we want to find out whether these things are true. So you kindness as a basis for the work of evangelism. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is that we've seen huge technological developments in the last few years. We shouldn't despise them. So there may be a downside but in addition to the importance of personal witness, public proclamation, the community of the church, we should seek to use some of these resources that are made available to us through modern technology to communicate the gospel as widely as possible. And some people would be more gifted in that area than others. We shouldn't despise the different giftings, but rather ask, how can we harness them all to the advance of the gospel? And that incidentally means, finally, that we should not fall into the trap, even though the Western world is clearly in decline, of saying the role of Western missionaries is over. It's all hands on deck. We are a minority and will always be a minority uh, in the world as a whole. 
narrow is the way jesus said and few be that find it mm. there's never been a country with more than 50 percent of the people who are bible believing christians and it will never happen because it's mm. costly to be christian and yeah. sometimes we have yeah. to stand against the prevailing trends in the culture so we'll always be a minority which is why we need to stick together and encourage one another mm. to fulfill god's purposes in our cultural context whether we come from taiwan or wales or nigeria or afghanistan believers in all cultures together have a responsibility to take the gospel to all people without exception so please do not Amen. fall into the, the pitfall of saying the west is finished or has nothing to contribute or even i'm a young afghan believer or i'm a young nepali believer i have nothing to contribute you do and in mm. fact that's our condition we are commissioned to come to jesus then to go not just to come so often in our church meetings we say come to church it's interesting jesus said come to me but then go into the world <laughs> much of our evangelism should occur beyond the walls of the church mm. wherever we have uh, an opportunity to have a hearing for the gospel thank you things that i've been uh, these have been very, uh, uh, very powerful. And also not just to me, I think everyone, uh, you know, is fortunate enough to, to have this uh, hour of conversation with you. Uh, I think, I think it's not just um, hearing the stories from uh, different parts of the world, but also being encouraged by uh, how big God is. And also he's uh, his kingdom perspective is is key to all this. Um, I think back in the uh, global mobilization consultation in Brazil, uh, 2019, uh, Dr. TV Thomas on the stage, he was uh, having his, his, his keynote speech and have his arm comes up and and, and embracing the, the, the audience and saying, you know, we we need radical collaborate collaboration. Uh, you know, it's not just people from the from the West and people from the majority world, and we need to have somebody uh, standing uh, on the stage and saying, um, on behalf of Latino America, on behalf of Asian churches. No, we need everybody, men, women, young, old, and and I think this is this this is the key uh, for 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 what Jesus really wants us to do as His disciples. Thank that is our calling, and that's our privilege. It's a privilege to be involved, uh, even if we believe we are the weakest saints in the history of the church. Jesus' words are to us: in any way that we can, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Um, uh, I think I think today we have we have a, such a blessing time, uh, in, encouragement from you, and I think encouragement also for many mobilizers around the world as well. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.